By the way, that um, song that we just sang, the hymn of dedication, or song of dedication, is uh, an ancient one, goes all the way back to the second century. It's sort of a fight song for the belief in the Trinity, uh, and uh, it's a, a rallying cry, uh, as it was and never shall be, uh, world without end. In other words, it's not going to change, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so it's the uh, called in Latin the Gloria Patri, but it's simply glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. <coughs> All right. About blew my vocal cords out uh, singing Praise Ye, Praise Ye the Lord on that, that robust and powerful and mighty uh, great hymn of the faith. And uh, <coughs> All right. Well, we've come once again uh, to the book of Micah and uh, one of the smaller of the Old Testament books one of the 12 minor prophets, as they are sometimes called. And we're continuing now our consecutive expository series in that book. Uh, we've got maybe three to four uh, uh, lessons to go, concluding uh, uh, today, perhaps uh, to finish this book, this wonderful little book of Micah. And at the beginning of chapter 5, if you were here, last week we had our missions emphasis weekend with our, our special guest speaker, uh, Kelly Jackson, and had a wonderful weekend. If you missed that, don't miss next year's. It was uh, great. Our, our team did, a, our, our folks did an outstanding job on the missions team and, and a lot of you volunteering in various ways. But uh, we were, of course, that was what was going on, and, but the week before that, we came into chapter 5, began to come into chapter 5 of uh, Micah's uh, pro prophecy or his oracle. And in and, and chapter 5, we, we began to run into one of the most beautiful and well-loved passages in all of Scripture, the promise of the coming Messiah. At the beginning of chapter 5, we found this beautiful prophecy of the rise of what I called the once and future king, barring a phrase uh, from some Arthurian legend. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what it was. Once came the first time, he's coming again. The once and future king, uh, Jesus, the Messiah. So we're getting a glimpse in this very, very difficult and challenging and, and a lot of judgment and a lot of hard and difficult things to face. And yet, once again, we see the promise of the gospel breaking through present trial and pointing to God's Messiah to come. Now, in the last chapter, in that last section, we looked at verses 5, uh, 1 of chapter 5 through 1 uh, excuse me, 5a. Today, we're going to be looking in our scripture reading at Micah chapter 5b through verse 15. So if you will now, remember this is the word of the Lord. Hear it with careful attention and appreciation. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in on our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and 
treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations, and in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, and like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots. And I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorcerers from your hand and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root out your Asherah images and from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will always remain. Let's pray. Father, once again... There are many metaphors, many things that are not familiar to us that are being spoken of in this passage. But once again, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit to understand your word and to receive it and to apply it with meekness. Lord, to take it for what it is, the very word of God. Father, we ask you that you would give us help and illumination to the end that you will receive more glory and praise and that we might walk more faithfully with you as your people. We pray this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. As I said in the last chapter, we looked at God's vision of hope for his people. That that chapter, the beginning of chapter 5, was a huge encouragement a promise of the Messiah to come. And indeed, restoration will come, even though we know from what Micah has already told us that Israel and Judah would be judged. That is not going to fail to come to pass. Israel much sooner in 722, and it almost happened in 701 to Judah, but there was a revival and there was repentance And there was restoration. But restoration still, even though it came for a time, the people once easily again revert to their ways and revert to their practices that were odious to God and idolatrous. Restoration, though, God is saying once again, will come even after judgment comes. Restoration will come, but it is a restoration that will come through pain of judgment and of exile. The people of God, the remnant even, they are going to go into into exile. 
at a certain point yet to come. The rest of chapter 5 is not primarily about restoration. It's primarily about the restorer. It's about God and his promises to keep and his promises to restore even his people that he must chastise and purify and sometimes take in, lead into captivity and exile. God will show again and again that he is the restorer of his people, of his remnant. Now remember, Paul said to us in Romans, all Israel was not Israel. That's a way of saying there were true Israelites and there were people of ethnicity-wise and culture-wise, they were Jewish, they were Israel, they were Judah, but they were not truly the remnant of God. They were not God's remnant within the larger group. And yet, God is promising that remnant, though there will be judgment that will come, will not be utterly wiped out, but it will be there and it will do things within, through God that are going to be extraordinary. And some of those things we've already seen. So here's the outline for today. The remnant rescued, the remnant replanted, and the remnant refined. The remnant planted, I mean, I mean uh, redu uh, rescued, replanted, and refined. Let's look at that. First of all, that's found in uh, the text in verses 5b through 6. Listen again to that. And when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. And they shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from... The Assyrian, when he comes into our land and treads within our border. So the Assyrian is coming, and yet God says he's going to deliver us from their greatest scourge and their greatest fear. So here, there is a rescue that God is setting into motion. Now Micah turns his audience's focus back from the current problem to the remnant of faith that faithful Judah faced. He's, he is now turning from that great prophecy of the coming and promise of the Messiah. Now he's back into the current business of what he's writing about in the very time that he is living. So he's looking forward last time. Now he's talking about something very near and very imminent. Assyria had already, remember, swept away the northern kingdom of Israel, already sent them off packing into captivity and scattered them all over the world, the known world, so that they never really came back together again as Israel. So Assyria had, had done that to the northern kingdom, and now its king, the present king, and a lot of these kings have been harassing Israel and Judah for a long time. 
but there's one that is known as Sennacherib. Sennacherib is the now the king, and he has set his sights on the conquest of Judah and particularly Jerusalem. And you've already heard me refer to that and allude to that, that in 701 he came against Jerusalem to tear it and raise it to the ground. But something happened. God intervened. God intervened. And God had other plans to rescue his remnant from the hand of Assyria. Listen to this. This is, comes from 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. Talking about when Sennacherib and his lieutenants or captains and whatever they were, when they started heckling and, and making fun of Hezekiah and his, his people and that there was no way that they could be held out, uh, God, through his prophets, Micah and Isaiah, uh, delivered this content. And that night, this is what they had told Hezekiah, don't be afraid. God's got this. And it said, And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived in, at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of of Nishrach, his God. Adaramalek and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. So, here's one instance already in which God is going to protect his people from the Assyrians by obliterating their army and then taking, decapitating the head of the snake. That would not be the only. And as Micah begins to allude on, the Assyrians had done this, and now the reference to seven shepherds. Did you hear that in the text? Seven shepherds and eight leaders. What in the world is that talking about? Well, first of all, it's not to be taken literally. It doesn't mean there was actually seven. It's, again, perfection of a number of perfection. It's a way of saying, it's a Hebrew literary device that said it's an indefinite yet, indefinite yet adequate amount that God is going to, in this time of, of being still under the threat of the Assyrian Empire and in the coming empire by the Babylonians, you're still going to find that God is going to be raising up key figures, prophets, and others, kings that are going to be maybe people that are not even mentioned here. They're going to be raised up, and they are going to be able to continue to preserve a remnant and not allow it to be completely destroyed. So... Did you know that after the siege that uh, uh, Sennacherib brought against Jerusalem in 701, interesting thing, they didn't come back again. 
That's the fulfillment of what Micah is saying here. There will be, God will raise up, and for whatever reason, they didn't come back. Now, did you hear the reference about Nimrod? You know who Nimrod was? He was kind of the predecessor of both Nineveh, of the Assyrians, and the Babylonians. And it says the land of Nimrod is referring to Babylon, Genesis chapter 10, verses 8 through 12. And in Micah's time, Babylon was subordinate to Nineveh. That would, the tables would get turned on that. But in that time, in Micah's time, that's the way it was. And the, uh, the Neo-Babylonian Empire ultimately destroyed the Assyrians in 612. So at that point, no more Assyrians. And then itself, the Babylon Empire was destroyed in 539 B.C. So ultimately, these great empires and kings that have been oppressing and suppressing and destroying the remnant of God and putting them under persecution and into slavery, those empires ultimately, by the hand of that coming once and future king, bringing down the nations. He holds them like channels of water in his hand, turning it wherever so will, the scripture says. And so in this aspect, we see that God rescued, even though his people were carried off into captivity, would be, not in this moment, but in years to come, it would happen that they would be carried off, and yet there would be protection provided, and there would be an uh, the Lord preserving his people and rescuing them. Now, the second part here, the second point, the remnant replanted. That's in verses 7 through 9. Now, listen to that again. And the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which, will delay, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations. It's very key to, to pick up that that note, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, and like a young lion among the flocks of the sheep, which, when it goes through, treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. And your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, and all your enemies shall be cut off. Now, obviously, we know that all enemies were not going to be cut off until King Jesus returns the second time in what we call the second coming. We know that, that that is the only ending of peace forever. And to, that, nothing short of that is going to happen. But in a historical sense, there was a t this time in which the people of God would be replanted and yet they would take root and grow stronger and have more influence eventually. And so in the time of judgment, though it will fall,
Testing, one, two, three, four. Okay. And it didn't quite, didn't quite hear an echo like, like usual. Huh? 586. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, where am I here? Okay. Um, so, um, during this time, they will be replanted among the nations. And that's, that's the key part. They're being replanted among the nations. Now, that may sound kind of cool to us today. That did not sound cool to a Jew in that time. Because the nations were who? The hated goim. The dirty dogs called Gentiles. That was the nations that the people of God were going to be forced to be exiled into. So that, that may have, and yet twice Micah says, you're going to be going among the nations. You see, during that time, Judah's remnant was going to be uprooted and then replanted among the nations in places like Assyria and most specifically in focus here is Babylon. And that must have been, as I said, an incredible shock to them uh, to be told they're going to go and get to live with and be neighbors with these hated, hated Gentiles. But the remnant will one day find itself replanted among the nations. And they are put there to serve the purpose of God. Listen to, to, to this text again. That I, that I think that's where I, the point where I was before the mic uh, uh, situation. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 29. And this shall be a sign for you. This year eat what grows of itself. And in the second year, what springs of the same? Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah, did you hear that? Shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So God's not going to forget his remnant people. They're going into captivity. They're going to be judged. They are going to suffer and be limited and have loss. But they're going to be also in a position to be used to further the purposes of God. And that's, that's what, again, in the midst of when the, it looks the worst, God brings something new. He may pull up something and uproot it, but then he will plant something else that brings about his purposes. And God was intending to do that with the remnant that he had replanted. The remnant one day will find itself replanted among the nations but they are put there for the purpose of God. And it literally uses this metaphor of like showers on the grass. In other words, it's going it's to be like just pouring down blessing. 
That idea of dew and showers are signs of a divine blessing, of a benediction. And so Micah is saying, you're going to go into exile, but you're going to be put there by the purposes of God. And he, you are going to, believe it or not, though you can't imagine, you're ultimately going to be a servant to the nations. Because that was what you were supposed to be all along. Remember the promise to Abraham? Remember, what would that look like? Listen to these passages from Genesis chapter 26, 4, and Isaiah 16, 9. Listen. And I, this is, this is God speaking to Abraham, Father Abraham. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and will give, you, give to you offspring all these land, to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring... All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now, of course, that ultimate offspring is, of course, none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the in which all the nations will be blessed through the gospel. But in a secondary sense, he is talking about the cursed Gentiles. These people will one day, in the purpose of the plan of God and salvation will be brought in to the people of God. Instead of Jew and Gentile, they will be brought together in the one great purpose of God. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because God has put his people in a very difficult situation. And yet that's how our God works. That's how he does things. Think for just a couple of examples of this for a moment. So what would that have looked like? Well, we've got some examples of that in the very pages of Scripture. Uh, for one, think about the example of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, otherwise, a.k.a. known as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Okay, what about them? They stood up, had courage, and ultimately they were preserved and saved from the fiery furnace. God caused them to rise up. They planted and they rose up. Think of Esther and Mordecai. Esther, for such a time, God put her in that place of exile. And without that, perhaps the whole remnant that was still in Babylon might have been wiped out if Haman had gotten his way. Think of Daniel himself. And listen to what Daniel wrote in his own book, Daniel eleven thirty two, And such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. But, this is the contrast, the, that's the wicked, but now the contrast, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Exploits, mighty accomplishments and those people were put in the place of being uprooted and put in a place of exile to bear the standard and to point the way and to bring back a more faithful remnant and to bless those gentiles in the process now the remnant finally refined once more 
we note in chapter 10 and through 15, listen. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you and will destroy your chariots and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds and I will cut off sorceries from your hand and you shall no more have no more tellers of fortunes. I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you and you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands and I will root out the Asherah images from among you and destroy and destroy your cities and in the anger and in anger and wrath I will execute vengeance on the nations that do not obey now this section is focused on what God will do to remove to remove humanly created sources of false hope humans just proliferate false hope they look for all kinds of things that will get them through, get them by, that will give them what they want. And yet God says, every one of these things that you guys have been banking on, every one of these things that you guys have put your trust in, they are all false. They all will fail you. I'm the only one that will not. And so I'm going to have to come in and take your toys away. I'm going to have to break some things in order to get you back. I'm going to have to use the phrase, what has sometimes been used in a particular uh, book a number of years ago, a severe mercy. Because you have become entrapped and completely overwhelmed by these things. You see, for years, Israel and Judah had been trusting in their kings, in their armies, and their fortified cities, and in their political alliances. Now, does that mean we can't have armies or that we can't have political? Of course, of course, that's prudent. But again, when, what does it really, what is your purpose? Do you really believe that that is what is more important than trusting the promises of God? Are we relying on? on things that we do, or are we relying on God? Again, uh, you've heard me say before, Oliver Cromwell, once before the battle of, of the forces of parliament and with the King Charles uh, I, before that first battle, uh, uh, Cromwell yelled, trust in God and keep your powder dry. So it is important to keep your powder dry. In other words, be prepared. Do what you should do. That's the, that's the responsibility side. But you better not ultimately trust in horses, char chariots, any of, any, in any time in history. Whatever the metaphor was for the things that are big and powerful, don't ultimately trust them. God is saying, trust in me. It doesn't negate the other. Doesn't, one doesn't negate the other. But ultimately, where is your trust? So, yeah. Get you, keep your powder dry. Use your tools. Use your weapons. But ultimately, make sure your trust is in the Lord. Sadly, they trusted in their own military might more than the God of Israel. And God intends Judah's exile to be a time of purification, refinement. You notice that was in the, in the outline. The, word, the idea or concept of refinement. They need to be purified and refined of their dependence upon worldly power, occult knowledge, and false idols. 
You heard, that's what all those things you heard in that last part of the passage there. They had a false source of counsel. They were listening to false prophets. They had a false sense of security. They were banking on the wrong uh, security blanket. Uh, and they had a false symbols. They had false symbols of worship. Did you hear the part about the Asherah poles? This is talking about the, the twin, the male and female counterparts of pagan gods that, were, that, were, that many of the people of Israel and Judah had gone to and had walked away from the worship of the living God. And they, were, they had these idols that they brought into the very, their very houses and places of God, the, the Asherah and the uh, uh, stones of Baal. And these, again, were, again, false symbols of worship. They were idols, Baal and Asherah idols. Now, despite the fact that Micah talked about terms of national consequences, and he did. He said, basically, this stuff is going to happen to you as a people, and it's going to have national consequence for the remnant that will be carried off into exile. But those national consequences were the result of individual choices. Remember that. Don't forget that. Yes, God will judge nations. Some will be judged in this world, and some will be judged in the next. And we don't get to decide which ones that we would prefer it to be. That's where we have to be aware of our pay grade and not get above it. But God will indeed bring national judgment. He has throughout all of history. History is the story of God bringing judgment. Being merciful, being patient, being but ultimately, at a certain point, bringing judgment. And yet, also, it really boils back to, to individuals. Again, we talk about kings and countries and, and entities large like that, but it's really the individual choice. It's individuals. Most of individual Jews in Israel and Judah had rejected God's covenant his commands, and his counsel. They were saying, we don't need that. We're going to go our own way. We're going to make it up on our, as we go. We're going to get our own alliances. We're going to preserve and protect ourselves. You see, their individual choices led to both personal and national judgment. Both happened. But it starts really with, with the personal, not with the other. Everyone must decide about where they will find their identity. Is it going to be in culture or is it going to be in Christ? Is it going to be based on what everybody else is telling you that you ought to define yourself by? Or is it going to be defined by the works and the promises of God? Is, it, is your identity going to be in Christ or is it going to be in other things? And you know what? You can't have it both ways. Jesus told us that. You can't serve God in mammon. He said a lot of other things saying the same principle. Jesus, the world says indulge. Jesus says deny. His way is different. It's, it's an upside down kingdom. It doesn't seem like it should be that way. But that is the way that his gospel works through the purposes of God. 
though there would be a refining by the sovereign God, and that's what this whole last part of this passage is telling us. There's going to be a refining by the sovereign Lord of the nations. And yet, you know what that refining? It's not the, the thing that we think it is. We think somehow hardship, suffering, refining, that, that's the, we want to never have any of that. But the purposes of God actually include that in bringing about his ultimate good. But he starts with refining. Remember the text that we, uh, sometimes if you listen to Handel Messiah, we, he shall purify the sons of Levi. You see, God is purifying. He's refining. And he's now his people have gone astray and he's going to chastise them, to bring them back, just like we need to correct sometimes those that we love and our children. There needs to be correction, not because we hate them, but because we love them. We want them to bring back and find greater happiness and fulfillment and purpose. Though there would be refining by the sovereign Lord of the nations, it really is good news for those who repent and believe the promises. All of those that, that failed and had, had become idolatrous, there's a road back. And that road back is through repentance and through belief in the promises of God. It starts with humiliation before there can be exaltation. The world wants to reverse engineer that, but it won't work. We have to be sometimes broken. We have to be go down. Remember, the only way in the gospel to go up is first to go down. You've got to embrace the bad news and admit the bad news before you can enjoy the good news. In wrath, again, we are being taught that God remembers mercy. And oh, how glad we should be that he does. Blessed be his name. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do again today thank you that even in chastening and even in times of loss and times of exile and times of not having what we would prefer to have, Lord, we thank you that your, your purposes are always before us. They're always moving, Lord, in a way, showing us, revealing to us that you have not forgotten your promises. And though we sometimes, along with others, do suffer chastisement, a degree of judgment, but Father, we thank you that our judgment is not ever going to be com complete because Jesus is the one who took our judgment for us. And Father, just as those before that, that repent and believe your promises, Father, we do not have to fear even the difficulties in this world. And Father, I praise you this, this day that you have promised that ultimately one day you will make everything right and, and your judgment will always be just and yet your mercy, your mercy is great unto thousands of them that love you and keep your commandments. May we be in that group, Father, ever and always. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.